Chapter twenty three of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter twenty three. The hope of self dependence, ever cheering to an upright mind, sweetened the rest of Ellis in her mean little apartment though with no brighter prospect than that of procuring a laborious support through the means of miss matson should she fail to obtain a recommendation for the superior office of a governess the decision was yet pending when a letter from selina charged her in the name of mrs maple to adopt as yet no positive measure in order to put an end to the further circulation of wonder that a young lady should go from under mrs maple's protection to a poor little lodging without any attendant and avowedly in search of a maintenance and further selina was bid to add that if she would be manageable she might still persist in passing for a young gentlewoman and mrs maple would say that she was reduced to such straits by a bankruptcy in her family rather than shock all the ladies who had conversed with her as mrs maple's guest by telling the truth mrs howell too with the approbation of lord denmeath himself to keep her out of the way of lord melbury would try to get her the place of an humble companion to some sick old lady who would take up with her reading and singing and ask no questions ellis with utter contempt was still perusing this letter when she was surprised by a visit from Miss Arb and Miss Bidle. Miss Arb had just been calling upon Mrs. Maple, by whom she had been told the plan of Mrs. Howell, and the plausible tale of its sudden necessity. Finding Ellis still under a protection so respectable, the wish of a little musical intercourse revived in Miss Arb, and she remarked to Miss Bidle that it would be a real charity to see what could be done for an accomplished young woman of family, in circumstances so lamentable. The reception they met with from Ellis was extremely cold. The careless air with which Miss Arb had heard, without entering into her distress, and the indifference with which she had suddenly dropped the invitations that, the minute before, had been urgent nearly to persecution, had left an impression of the littleness of her character upon the mind of Ellis, that made her present civilities, though offered with a look that implied an expectation of gratitude, received with the most distant reserve. And still less was she disposed to welcome Miss Bidle, whose behaviour, upon the same occasion, had been rude as well as unfeeling. Neither of them, however, were rebuffed, though Miss Arb was disappointed, and Miss Bidle was amazed, but Miss Arb had a point to carry, and would not be put from her purpose, and Miss Bidle, though she thought it but odd not to be made of more consequence, could not be hurt from a feeling which she neither possessed nor understood, delicacy. "'So I hear, Miss Ellis, you have met with misfortunes,' Miss Bidle began. "'I am sorry for it, I assure you, though I am sure I don't know who escapes.' but I want to know how it all first began. Pray, my dear, in what manner did you set out in life? A great deal of one's pity depends upon what people are used to. What most concerns me for poor Miss Ellis, 
said Miss Arbe, 'is her having no instrument. I can't think how she can live without one. Why don't you hire a harp, Miss Ellis?' Ellis quietly answered that she was not very musically inclined. "'But you must not think how you are inclined,' said Miss Bidle. "'If you are to go out for a companion, as Mrs. Howell wants you to do, for I am sure I don't know who you will get to take you if you do. I have known pretty many young women in that capacity, and not one among them ever had such a thought. How should they? People do not pay them for that.' "'I only hope,' said Miss Arbe, that whoever has the good fortune to obtain the society of Miss Ellis, will have a taste for music. Twill be a thousand shames if her fine talents should be thrown away. Ellis, as she suspected not her design, was much surprised by this return to fine speeches. Still, however, she sustained her own reserve, for the difficulty of devising to what the change might be owing, made her cast it upon mere caprice. To the inquiries, also, of Miss Bidle, she was equally immovable, as they evidently sprang from coarse and general curiosity. This distance, however, was not successful, either in stopping the questions of Miss Bidle, or the compliments of Miss Arbe. Each followed the bent of her humour, till Miss Arbe, at length, started an idea that caught the attention of Ellis. This was, that instead of becoming an humble companion, she should bring her musical acquirements into use, by giving lessons to young ladies. Ellis readily owned that such a plan would be best adapted to her inclinations, if Mrs. Howell and Mrs. Maple could be prevailed upon to exert their influence in procuring her some scholars. "'But a good word or two from Miss Arbe!' said Miss Bidle, would do more for you, in that tuning way, than all theirs put together. I should like to know how it was you got this musical turn, Miss Ellis. Were your own friends rich enough, my dear, before their bankruptcy, to give you such an education themselves? Or did it all come, as one may say, from a sort of knack? Ellis earnestly asked whether she might hope for the powerful aid of Miss Arbe to forward such a plan. Miss Arbe now resumed all her dignity, as an acknowledged judge of the fine arts, and a solicited patroness of their votaries. With smiles, therefore, of ineffable affability, she promised Ellis her protection, and glibly ran over the names of twenty or thirty families of distinction, every one of which, she said, in the choice of instructors to their children, was guided by her opinion. But then, she added, with an air that now mingled authority with condescension, you must have a better room than this, you know. The house is well enough, and the milliner is fashionable. She is my own. But this little hole will never do. You must take the drawing-room, and then you must buy immediately, or at least hire, a very fine instrument. There is a delightful one at Strode's now, one I long for myself, and then, patting her shoulder, you must dress, too, a little like other people, you know. "'But how is she to do it?' said Miss Bidle, "'if she has got no money.' Ellis, however ashamed, felt rather assisted than displeased by this plump truth, but it produced no effect upon Miss Arbe, who lightly replied, "'Oh, we must not be shabby. We must get things a little decent about us. A few scholars of my recommending will soon set all that to rights.' Take my advice, Miss Ellis, and you won't find yourself vastly to be pitied. 
"'But what have you got to begin with?' said Miss Bidle. "'How much have you got in hand?' "'Nothing!' answered Ellis, precipitately. "'I lost my purse at Dover, and I have been destitute ever since, dependent wholly upon accidental benevolence.' Miss Bidle now was extremely gratified. This was the first time that she had surprised from Ellis any account of herself, and she admitted, not a doubt that it would be followed by her whole history. "'That was unlucky enough,' she said. "'And pray what money might you have in it?' Ellis strongly affected herself, though she had not affected her auditors, by the retrospection of a misfortune which had been so eventful to her of distress, said no more till she saw some alarm upon the countenance of Miss Arbe, at the idea of a protégé really penniless. And then, fearing to forfeit her patronage, she mentioned the twenty pounds which she owed to the generous kindness of Lady Aurora Granville. Miss Arbe now smiled more complacently than ever, and Miss Vidal, straining wide open her large, dull eyes, repeated, Twenty pounds! Good me! Has Lady Aurora given you twenty pounds?' "'The money,' said Ellis, blushing, "'I hope I may one day return. The goodness surpasses all requital.' "'Well, if that is the case, we must all try to do something for you, my dear. I did not know of anybody's having begun, and I am never for being the first in those sort of subscriptions, for I think them little better than picking people's pockets.' besides that i entirely disapprove bringing persons that are poor into habits of laziness however if lady aurora has given so handsomely one does not know how to refuse a trifle so i tell you what i'll pay you a month's hire of a harp ellis deeply colouring begged to decline this offer but miss arbe with an air of self-approbation that said i won't be excelled cried and I, Miss Ellis, will go to the music-shop and choose your instrument for you myself. Both the ladies, now equally elated by internal applause, resolved to set out instantly upon this errand, without regarding either refusal or objection from Ellis. Yet Miss Bidle, upon finding that neither Mrs. Howell nor Mrs. Maple had yet given anything, would have retracted from her intended benefaction had not miss arbe dragged her away positively refusing to let her recant from a conviction that no other method could be started by which her own contribution could so cheaply be presented a very fine harp soon arrived with a message from miss arbe desiring that she might find miss ellis wholly disengaged the next morning when she meant to come quite alone and to settle everything the total want of delicacy shown in this transaction made the wishes of Ellis send back the instrument to Miss Bidle, and refuse the purposed visit of Miss Arbe. But a little reflection taught her that in a situation so defenceless pride must give way to prudence, and nicer feelings must submit to necessity. She sat down, therefore, to her harp, resolved diligently to practice it as a business which might lead her to the self-dependence at which she so earnestly languished to arrive, and of which she had only learnt the just appreciation, by her helplessness to resist any species of indignity, while accepting an unearned asylum. Cheered, therefore, again, by this view of her new plan, she received Miss Arab the next morning, with a gratitude the most flattering to that lady who voluntarily renewed her assurances of protection. 
"'Very luckily for you,' she added, "'I shall stay here very late, for Papa says that he can't afford to begin this winter this year before May or June.' Then, sending for a large packet of music from her carriage, she proposed trying the instrument, complacently saying that she had chosen the very best which could be procured, though Miss Bidle had vehemently struggled to make her take a cheaper one. Miss Arp, however, would not indulge her parsimony. "'I can't bear,' she cried, "'anything that is mean.' What Miss Arp called trying the instrument was selecting the most difficult passages, from the most difficult music which she attempted to play, and making Ellis teach her the fingering, the time, and the expression, in a lesson which lasted the whole morning. Miss Arb, who aspired at passing for an adept in every accomplishment, seized with great quickness whatever she began to learn. But her ambition was so universal, and her pursuits were so numerous, that one of them marred another, and while everything was grasped at, nothing was attained. Yet the general aim passed with herself for general success, and because she had taken lessons in almost all the arts, she concluded that of all the arts she was completely mistress. This persuasion made her come forward, in the circles to which she belonged, with a courage that she deemed to be the just attribute of superior merit. And her family and friends, not less complacent, and rarely less superficial, in their judgments than herself, sanctioned her claims by their applause, and spread their opinions around, till, hearing them reverberated, they believed them to be fame. The present scheme for Ellis had another forcible consideration in its favour with Miss Arb, a consideration not often accustomed to be treated with utter contempt even by higher and wiser characters, the convenience of her purse. Her various accomplishments had already exhausted the scanty powers for extra expenses of her father, and it was long since she had received any instructions through the ordinary means of remuneration. But, ingenious in whatever could turn to her advantage, she contrived to learn more when she ceased to recompense her masters than while the obligation between them and their pupil was reciprocated for she sought no acquaintance but amongst the scholars of the most eminent professors whether of music or painting her visits were always made at the moment which she knew to be dedicated to practising or drawing and she regularly managed by adroit questions seasoned with compliments to attract the attention of the master to herself for an explanation of the difficulties which distressed her in her private practice. Compliments, however, were by no means the only payment that she returned for such assistance. If a benefit were in question, she had not an acquaintance upon whom she did not force tickets. If a composition were to be published, she claimed subscriptions for it from all her friends. If scholars were desired, not a parent had a child, not a guardian had a ward, whom she did not endeavour to convince, that to place his charge under such or such a professor, was the only method to draw forth his talents. She scarcely entered a house in which she had not some little scheme to effect, and seldom left it with her purpose unfulfilled. The artists, also, were universally her humble servants, for though they could not, like the world at large, be the dupes of her unfounded pretensions to skill, 
they were sure, upon all occasions, to find her so active to serve and oblige them, so much more civil than those who had money, and so much more social than those who had power, that, from mingling gratitude with their personal interest, they suffered her claims to superior knowledge to pass uncanvassed, and while they remarked that her influence supplied the place of wealth, they sought her favour, they solicited her recommendation, they dedicated to her their works. She charmed them by personal civilities. She won them by attentions to their wives, sisters, or daughters. And her zeal, in return for their gratuitous services, had no limit, except what might be attached to her purse. To pay for the instructions of Ellis by patronage was no sooner decided than affected. A young lady who had been educated abroad, who was brought forth into the world by Mrs. Maple, and protected by Mrs. Howell, and Lady Aurora Granville, was already an engaging object. But when she was reduced to support herself by her own talents, through the bankruptcy of her friends, she became equally interesting and respectable, and, as such, touched for her misfortunes, yet charmed to profit from her accomplishments, Lady Kendover, a leading dilettante in the highest circles, was the first to beg that Miss Arb would arrange the terms, and fix a day and hour for Miss Ellis to attend Lady Barbara Franklin, her ladyship's niece. One pupil of this rank, thus readily offered, procured another before the day was over, and, before the evening was finished, a third. Miss Arb, enchanted with her success, hastened to have the pleasure of communicating it to Ellis, and of celebrating her own influence. The gratitude of Ellis was, however, by no means unruffled, when Miss Arb insisted upon regulating the whole of her proceedings, and that with an expense which, however moderate for any other situation, was for hers alarming, if not ruinous. But Miss Arb declared that she would not have her recommendation disgraced by any meanness. She engaged, therefore, at a high price, the best apartment in the house. She chose various articles of attire, lest Ellis should choose them, she said, too parsimoniously, and employed, in fitting her up, some tradespeople, who were honoured, occasionally, by working for herself. In vain Ellis represented the insufficiency of her little store for such expenses. Miss Arb impatiently begged that they might not waste their time upon such narrow considerations, and, seizing the harp, devoted the rest of the visit to a long, though unacknowledged, lesson, after which, in hastily nodding an adieu, she repeated her high disdain of whatever was wanting in spirit and generosity. Mrs. Maple, with mingled choler and amazement, soon learnt the wonderful tidings that the discarded wanderer had hired the best drawing-room at the famous milliner's miss matson and was elegantly though simply arrayed and prepared and appointed to be received in various houses of fashion as a favoured and distinguished professor the fear of some ultimate responsibility for having introduced such an impostor into high life now urged Mrs. Maple to work upon the curiosity of Mrs. Ireton, to offer the unknown traveller the post of her humble companion. 
but Ellis retained a horror of the disposition and manners of Mrs. Ireton, that made her decidedly refuse the proposition. And the incensed Mrs. Maple, and the imperious Mrs. Howell, alike ashamed to proclaim what they considered as their own dupery, were alike, ultimately, reduced to leave the matter to take its course. Mrs. Howell finally comforting herself, that, in case of detection, she could cast the whole disgrace upon Mrs. Maple, who equally consoled herself by deciding, in that case, to throw the whole blame upon Mr. Harleigh. End of chapter 23 Recording by Roxana Nazari